Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ignited Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Lawrence. I believe people and culture are the single greatest competitive advantage in any business. This podcast is a weekly dose of inspiration and practical how-to strategies for transforming the way we learn, grow, and perform at work. So get ready. You're about to learn from the best learning leadership experts on the planet. Let's get after it. On this episode of Ignited Learning, I am delighted to welcome Debbie Bailey. Debbie is a service culture development expert, and she has worked in the hospitality industry for 20 years. She has worked with some of the world's most renowned hospitality brands, including Ritz-Carlton, Marriott, Hyatt, and Shangri-La Hotels. In addition to her service expertise, Debbie is a certified emotional intelligence practitioner and assessor, a trainer, and sales revenue optimization consultant. So on today's episode, Debbie will bring her experience and wealth of insights to share how service culture is sustainably built within organizations. She will talk about how service values are cultivated, how she brings out the best in frontline staff, and give us an inside look into the critical aspects of service mindset that build lifelong relationships with customers. So without further ado, let's welcome Debbie to the podcast. Debbie, good afternoon. So so great you're on the show. Thank you for having me. Debbie, for our audience, can, can you give us a quick introduction to uh, who you are and uh, what you're up to these days? Yeah, so I'll go back a little bit. Um, I've worked in hospitality since I was 18. Um, I started as a guest relations officer uh, at a five-star hotel here in Hong Kong. Um, and worked really hard and, you know, just had a lot of fun along the way, learned, you know, really got down on my hands and knees to learn everything there was to know about uh, hotel operations. Mm. Um, and then worked in operations. Then I moved to corporate office. And then I, my last hotel was at the Ritz Carlton, Hong Kong, mm. uh, where I was working in operations as well. I had the opportunity to open the Ritz Carlton Tokyo. Um, and also cross-trained in Osaka as well. So I worked in hospitality for 20 years. And um, yeah, it's been a great journey. I, I mean, I love it. It's in my blood. Um, and then I became a consultant uh, for the last 10 years, working with uh, different hotel brands across the Asia Pacific region and helping them to really drive their sales optimization revenue. And, and in the time that um, I've gotten to know you, you absolutely have customer service through your blood. You are a true service professional. Debbie, one of my first questions for you is a lot of organizations are trying to figure out how do you deliver five-star service? What is the secret sauce? So let's get right into it. And um, what's your perspective on what makes great service? Well, I first think that you need to have, you know, involve the team in the planning of the work that affects them. You know, sometimes, you know, having come from a frontline employee um, and gone into managerial positions and leading a team, I sometimes think the best ideas don't necessarily come from the managers. And we have to keep that dialogue open and have that space for, for employees to have a voice at the table. Because sometimes, you know, that best idea can actually come from them. And if we empower mm -hmm. them and give them that opportunity to, to have that voice, 
then they're going to feel like a strong sense of belonging in the organization. And therefore you're driving a very clear purpose and what you're doing because they feel involved. So that one is a uh, really, really key. And I think creating common service language as well, mm. um, as well as also celebrating success and aligning our values uh, from the inside out. You know, as a manager, you need to walk the talk, you know, whatever we're giving to the customer, are, are the employees feeling the same inside? Mm. On your first point around giving the employees voice so they can share those ideas to create amazing service, how do you create the conditions where employees feel comfortable to kind of share those ideas? I think you have to have openness um, and make sure we're compassionate as leaders, you know, and know that whatever ideas they put out is not a silly one. You know, the, I, the fact that they're bringing that idea to the table is already a great value. Mm. Um, I'll give an idea. I did a project um, with a, a bank, a global bank. And yeah. one of the things that we did was uh, create a program called the iConnect. And okay. the idea was iConnect was to have, you know, each department, doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a manager to, you know, the janitor to, you know, anyone in the organizations to come up with one idea that they want to change every month. And we would empower them and let them, you know, present it to, to, you know, their managers and give them the justification why they wanted to do it, cost it out. Mm. And some of these ideas were put through. And, and can you imagine the feeling that your idea was put forward? And it doesn't matter who you are in that organization. You're all part of it. Um, so I thought that, that creating that space is, is really important. That's beautiful. And not, not only that space, but also that, that process. I like that yeah. monthly, uh, the monthly idea. Can, can, you, can you share an example of one of the ideas from an employee that was implemented? Yeah, I mean, I remember one in particular. It was a housekeeping team. And these housekeepers are just amazing. And, you know, we always think housekeepers, oh, they clean the rooms. And, you know, you know it's just a very routine job. So, um, my room attendants came up to me and goes, Debbie, you know, I have this great idea. You know, you know, in Hong Kong, when we have a Chinese wedding, when we have honeymoon couples, we should do something very, you know, cultural. Let's put the, you know, the red um, silk bed sheets out. We put the peanuts, mm. we put the double happiness on the, on the, the lampshades. And I was like, guys, this is great. Why don't you work together, put it together, show us, cost it out and just present it to us. Let's set a time. And, you know, they were so excited because they're so proud of their work. You know, after work, they went and they sourced everything. And, you know, they even created these beautiful, you know, paper cut um, cards and they placed mm. them on the bed and they presented. And I was just like, this is amazing. And that was implemented. And, you know, they thought, oh, they're not just room attendants. These guys are just part of the organization. They're part of curating what I call experiences. And, you know, when I look at service, I always think of it as art, you know, as an art mm. form, really. You know, mm. we're creators of experiences and, you know, that experience is going to have a lasting impression for that person that was going to stay in that room. So that's just an example of what we did. I mean, I, I remember that very, very vividly. That is, that is such a great example. I love that. Absolutely love it. So this concept of delivering service um, is like art. Well, what if an organization says, I'm not an artist, I can't deliver that five-star service? What would you say? Well, I think five-star service, you know, we put a label to it, really, mm. you know. But when you're in hospitality, we don't have to label what is, you know, you know, 
the, the type of service because we, we do it from our heart, right? Mm. So um, I'll give you an example. My first hotel that I worked in, you know, that was during the 98 when we had the financial crisis where the average rate was relatively low. You could easily stay in the hotel for $1,000 a night. And when I changed hotels um, to a is that, is that is that U.S. dollars or Hong Kong? Hong Kong dollars. And when <laughs> okay. you move to, you say, somewhere like Ritz-Carlton, where you're paying $4,000 a night. And I remember my guests actually moved. So then it made me think, is it related to the luxury or is it who you're with, right? It's the, the experience that we're creating for the people because there's a strong level of trust. There's a strong level of connection. Mm. And when we can find that, I think that's when we really love what we do because we, we're, we're so intentional about the type of service we want to give to another person because the intention is just to make another person happy, right? You're in my house. I'm going to take mm. care of you. So simple, so powerful. It's actually really simple. I think sometimes we, we make service quite complex when, when we look at it and when I do training, especially with, you know, new frontline employees, I'm like, oh, what's great service? I go, if your best friend came into your house, what would you do? And, you know, all these ideas flow. I go, exactly. That's what we do for our guests. But there's a fine line, right? Because we have to understand there are some guests or some people who they want that very, you know, uh, unobtrusive type of service. But are we able to read that? And are we able to pick up the unexpressed wishes and needs of our guests? Because that's what mm. creates the, what I call the lightning strikes, right? Because mm. lightning strikes are what creates the wow. And then what we can serve and share with the team. And that really creates that culture moving forward. I know a lot of organizations have good days and bad days. And the holy grail seems to be how can the organization deliver that consistent high level of service? What would you recommend for achieving consistency? Um, I think talking about your company values every day, you know, so when I start my day, um, I'll give an example of Ritz Carlton. I can never start the day without talking about a value. Mm. And we talk about those values and we rotate every 12 days and it goes back and it loops and we share stories. And I think short storytelling is really powerful because Sometimes when we talk about service, we all, you know, the guest has a lot that they can talk about, but we can also share some of the great stories that we experience. And sometimes because we're so transactional doing all the, you know, operational tasks, we actually forget that. And if we can bring that and make it alive, then that, that service culture becomes a lot stronger. Um, mm. So we breathe and live that. That's, that's how we start our day. We don't talk about how much money we made last night. I would pick up one value and say, okay, let's talk about this value today. You know, mm. empowerment. Tell me how were you empowered yesterday? You know, how can you use empowerment? And so if you educate, it's not necessarily training, right? Right. So I right. think the education part is really important because a lot of your, you know, people in your organization has a lot to bring to the table. They have a lot mm. to share. We just need to listen to them, just like we should be listening to our guests. Absolutely. What is, I mean, I, I know you have so many values that you hold dear to your heart, but is there any values that kind of surface as your top one or two favorite service values? Oh, yeah. Compassion is my big one. Is it? Yeah. I think, you know, I think that's what drove me to fall in love with this industry, you know, regardless of hotels, I mean, even airlines, any place that we serve, 
I mean, life is all about serving others, right? Mm. And creating that win-win situation. So compassion for sure is my number one. I think it's, you know, kindness, I always say, is the antidote for many problems that we have in this world right now. So true. Now, so for example, if you were talking about compassion in a daily briefing, how might you bring this value of compassion alive where frontline employees can kind of have a new relationship with that value and embody it? Yeah, I call, I call people in the hotels like guardian angels. Okay. So let's just say for an example, you're in an airline or in your hotel, you have 200 arrivals a day. How mm. many people are we going to create lightning strikes for? And what do I mean by that? A lot of time we need to embrace the technology as well because technology or what we have, the data that we have, can actually create amazing experiences. And when we are able to untap the unexpressed wishes and wow you when you come to, on your arrival, how is that going to make that person feel? So I challenged the team. I was like, you know, look at the arrivals today. Tell me something that we can do for a particular guest. We're not just going to put a fruit basket in the room, right? <laughs> uh, maybe, it's more than fruit you know, baskets. It's more than fruit baskets, right? Yeah. But, you know, for example, <clears throat> I had one particular guest his daughter was coming in from Australia and I found out from the mother that she liked a particular type of chocolate. You know, these are small things, but to a person who's arriving to receive that on arrival, to know exactly what they like and a specific brand and to receive it when they arrive at the hotel to them, it's like, Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. And therefore I would get this here. You know, that, so is, little- that is definitely a lightning strike. Yeah, but sometimes it doesn't have to be the big things. It's the little things mm. that capture, right? It's the small little details that people appreciate. And that, that's what they talk about. It's the little things that make the difference. Yes. And wow. that's just one example. <laughs> so um, I, I like this concept of technology or uh, technology and human touch or call it high-tech, high-touch. How is the hospitality industry moving forward with both high tech and high touch in their service yeah. culture? Well, actually I was thinking this, that, you know, when we look at how our organizations has evolved, when we looked at the industrial revolution, we required strong workers, right? Hmm. And then when we looked at information age, we, we require people who had a lot of knowledge. And now as technology enhances, some of the operational tasks will actually leave us more time and capacity to show up for others emotionally. Right. Mm. So actually the quality of our connections and the quality of the service should be even more important. So things like compassion and empathy will really define the competitive edge in the future. That's what I think. And we have to embrace technology. It's there to help us and we shouldn't push it away, but it's how we use it. That's important. When you have it, how are you utilizing that? And the law of scarcity, when we have all this technology and a lot of stuff are going to be remote, automated, you know, people want to talk to people and mm. that quality connection is going to be so important. And, and that's what people remember. Mm. I, I love the concept of using technology in the right way yes. so that you can magnify the soft side, magnify that compassion yeah. and empathy. Yeah. That is, that is cool. That, is Actually, cool. That's, uh, that for me is when I, whenever I've trained every single hotel that I've ever trained, I always say that, how are you using your property management system to help you? drive connection because a lot of people look at the property management system or their technology as something that's very transactional but actually if we use it correctly it's actually extremely powerful 
Mm. Right? It'd be little things, you know, like every day, you know, one of the, the things that I used to do is get me a quality preference a day. You know, what's quality, you know, how it, but you put it in the system. Are you using it? I'll give you an example. I was in Macau, one particular hotel. I'm a lefty. Oh, me too. I'm oh, a lefty. Great. <laughs> we should arm wrestle. No. <laughs> I sat down in this Chinese restaurant. You won't believe this. I was staying in the hotel. The waiter came up. And you, being a lefty, you will, you will get this, right? My chopstick was on the left-hand side. I was gobsmacked. I was like, wow. You know, again, how do they know? It must have been in the system. And somebody was smart enough to pull that up and use it wisely. That is, that is cool. Now, do they, do they have left-handed forks? Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm just joking with you. Debbie, uh, can I ask you about COVID-19 and hotels, how they're repositioning themselves so that when we come out of this, they can deliver an even higher level of service to their customers? Um, What do you see happening in that space? Um, I think the first thing that's happening is that there needs to be a level of reassurance for travelers, you know, once things start going. And, you know, it's going to happen. We, we, there will be a time where we can all travel again. But there's mm. also going to be this feeling at the back of everybody's mind. Is, are we safe? Is it, is it going to be clean? Right. So I think a lot of hotels are now working, you know, with, with partners outside or even internally setting up really clear standards on how that, that's going to look like. Mm. Um, I think it's, I'm very optimistic. I think that hotels should embrace the fact that all those travelers who are going to travel for the first time are going to remember that first flight, that first hotel stay. And what are we going to do to make a difference, right? How are we going to impact? That's the opportunity. You know, we've had a lot of time for people in the hotels. You know, they've cross-trained, they've multitasked, they've learned a lot. Yes, the, the times are difficult, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. You know, they're going to come out of this much stronger uh, with a different level of appreciation. You know, and they're going to love that time they, you know, check in that first guest, the first guest who comes off that limousine, the first guest who boards that plane. It's just going to be magical. Mm. And that's how I look at it. And then we've got to be ready for that. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like first impressions reborn. Oh, totally. It's like re, yeah, it's reborn. I think that's a great word. <laughs> first impressions reborn, reimagined. Uh, yeah, definitely. In your experience, what is the biggest challenge of building a strong service culture? The biggest challenge? Yeah. I think it has to go across the organization. You know, I think mm. leaders need to realize that it just, it, you can't tell people, you know, this is what you need to do. Because service is, is, is changing a lot. It's all about individualism. It's all about the person's personality and we should embrace that and allow people to show their character and I think what needs to happen is that when we talk about service culture is involving everybody from the top all the way down to you know rank and file right Mm, so mm. that there's this cohesiveness it's trying to gel everything together and then that you know if you're I always believe that if you're involved in the planning of the work that affects you you're going to embrace that change or that transformation or that service culture because you're involved in the decision-making. Mm. Yeah. So I think the challenges of you're a leader, listen to your employees. They've got a lot to say. 
So simple, but so, so powerful. So if I'm a frontline leader or frontline manager, and I really want to transform the service culture of my team, in addition to listening, what else might you recommend? I would suggest dialogue um, and keep it open. Um, and actually, this one is very close to heart. And I, I always say this in training as well, or even to my team, is actually go and work with them. Just because you're a manager doesn't mean you sit in the back in your office, right? Doesn't stop you from going in, checking in a guest, cleaning a hotel room once a day. I did that once in high heels, wasn't easy. <laughs> um, but again, it, it, it helps you gain that respect from the team, right? Um, and also I think mentoring your team, I mean, because their success is your success too. It's a total reflection. So guiding them, as well, I think that's really important. And then just telling them and keeping transparency. I think one of the things is, you know, keeping dialogue open, transparency is key. Nice. Debbie, I know in, in your career, you have worked extensively in the rooms division and you have unique insights into preparing rooms and getting them ready for guests. What did you learn about service culture from your experience in the rooms division? I learned it doesn't really take much, actually. I think, you know, I have that mindset of keeping it simple for myself, <laughs> really. I think, like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, books that we can read on service culture, but really keep it simple because, you know, we have a lot of rank and file who join this industry. There's a lot of graduates coming out for hotel schools this year, and they're going to come into the industry. Hmm. Uh, you know, they have this big expectation, but actually it's really simple. You're working here, this is your home, and your friends are coming here. How do you want to treat them? Debbie, with all your experience in the hospitality industry, what are some of the key learnings you've gotten over the years? Key insights. Key insights. Um, I've learned to be humble. Okay. Yeah. Um, because I have a soft spot for service professionals. Uh, we work really hard. Whilst most people work nine to five, we're working through typhoons, you know, through crisis. Uh, we work odd hours, overnight shift. Um, so I've learned that it's important to be kind. Um, I've also learned that relationships are really important. Um, mm. You know, a lot of the people I've worked with since I started um, are still really great friends. Mm. Um, and I feel empowered. I feel like, you know, when I can create something really memorable for somebody, that's it's going to stay for a lifetime. I mean, how amazing is that, that you're creating these experiences for people and that really sells the hotel, that really sells experience. And I think one of the things I always say to people is, you know, when we talk about operations and procedures, you know, you know, SOP this, mm. it's pretty simple. When somebody leaves you and they can remember your name, you've succeeded. It's that simple. You know, we always talk about use the guest name, use the guest name. I say to my team, Hey, 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 how many people remembered your name today? How does that feel? And they're like, yeah, that's what, that's what hospitality is about. We want to be remembered too. That is such a great reframe. Not only remember the guest names, but more importantly, if they're remembering your name, you know, you've done, you know you've done something pretty special. Yeah, exactly. I know there's a lot of college graduates that want to join the hospitality industry. What advice would you have for them as they start? I would say just be yourself, you know, um, people are going to remember who you are. You're not a robot, you know, you're mm. not checking in and you know, it's going to be scary to start with. I mean, I was scared in the beginning, but it just relax. 
Um, and operation and task, those are things that you can learn. But just remember how you make other feels has that lasting impression. So that's, mm. just go with that mindset. I think that that's really key. Debbie, can you tell us a little bit more about your consulting practice? What are you working on? What's lighting you up right now? Ah, so I started my company called Hospitality Impact Consulting. Um, and really what it is, is I've been in the industry and consulting for over 10 years. And um, one thing I notice is when you're a consultant, people trust you and they tell you everything. Mm. Um, you know, good, bad, life, family, you know, everything. And I realized there was a really strong common theme. There was a lot of, you know, frustration. So I decided to take a year out and learn emotional intelligence and okay. um, to help others thrive through, through their, their journey in hospitality. You know, it's, it's not easy because we always have to keep that poker face, whether, you know, we always talk about the good things, but bad things can happen too, bad experiences. Mm -hmm. And how do we manage that experience? So I developed three programs. One's called EQ um, Rev Climber, and we look at revenue optimization. And I think that's going to be needed a lot in how we come out of COVID because we're going to have to look at revenue generations in different areas of the hotel. Mm -hmm. um, and so I will have EQ assessments. So mm -hmm. we can look and profile the team and really help them look at the competencies and help them, you know, thrive in different areas of, you know, for example, yeah, how they navigate their emotions, um, how do we drive intrinsic motivation or, you know, increasing their empathy. Mm. So that way we can work on a roadmap to really help a team really, you know, create high performing teams. Mm, love that. Actually, how do you create intrinsic motivation? Well, you've got to find purpose first. I think okay. if a hotel has a very strong you know, service culture um, and the team believe in it, they're going to have that inner fire. It's kind of like that inner energy that you mm. want to do well. You know, some people may come to work and they look at it as a job. But if you're looking at it as a career, but how do we fuel that in, in every individual? And every individual might be slightly different. So it's finding, helping them find a purpose. You know, for me, my purpose is very clear. I know exactly what I'm out to do. And my purpose is to help others thrive. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And just be happy. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, um, how, how might you help somebody if they say, I don't know what my purpose is? How can you help someone find their purpose? It takes time. I mean, it's taken me two years to find mine. It's not, it's not, it's not an overnight process. Um, I think it's, it's a process that you really got to reflect and take some time for yourself and really think about what makes you wake up every morning other than the cup of coffee. Um, so it, it does take time. I think having a coach is a good, good start. Mm. Yeah. You know, one of my friends said, um, one way to find purpose is to write a list of at least 20, 20 ideas that, make you most happy. And when you identify those areas in your life over the last few years of where you've been most happy, that's a pretty good clue of where you should be looking to discover your purpose. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's yeah. a really good idea. But it does take time. It really has taken me time. And I'm very clear of what I want to do. I, I'm happy when other people, when I can help others, you know. And again, it's that, that maybe from the root of when I started hospitality, because it was always about compassion. It was always about empathy. It's about doing the right thing. 
Yeah. And I really thrive off that when I, I worked with, you know, other hotel professionals in the past, you know, a lot of them who we still keep in contact with, you know, they still call out and say, Debbie, what do you think about this? You know, it's, it's nice. It's nice. And it's, I like to see people grow. You know, I've seen people from front lines who are now in general manager positions and I'm just so happy for them. Mm. Now you you are absolutely in alignment with your purpose because I, I know you're doing some things outside of work. Um, you were telling me about message in a shell. Um, oh, yes. Can, can you uh, can you give us a quick little intro to what that's about? Well, message in a shell is my little art project, uh, and what right. I do is I um, upcycle shells from vendors, from the wholesalers, and they come mm. off the boats off Tumun. And um, one day I asked this lady, I go, what do you do with these shells? She's like, I throw them away. I was like, no, don't throw it away because I want to paint them. So I started painting these shells. And I love shells because you can write a lot on the back of it. Mm. And what I do is I place it out in different areas of Hong Kong and people go and find them. And the hope is that they pick the shell up. Um, First of all, it's the idea that somebody spent the time to paint this for somebody else with the intention of uplifting another person. Mm. Um, so it was really just to drive, you know, during this period, you know, when things are a little bit down that we can have a little bit of love out there really. And it's actually expanded to increase, to, to include um, our featured artists in Hong Kong. So I have 30 different artists and they cover culture, culture, age and gender. So the idea that no matter what religious perspective you have, political view you have, the most universal thing that we have is compassion in this world. And mm-hmm. that's the message. So yeah, it's expanded. We placed a hundred out and my goal is to put 300 and people are getting it and they're sending me messages and it's just really lovely. Huh. And I know you've had some extraordinary conversations with people over the shelves. Yeah. I think the other day you were sharing with me, you spoke to a 99 year old woman. Yeah. Yeah, so I ran to the village. I was trail running and I stopped at this little village in Lantau. And the idea with that day was for me to place a shell out. But I met this lady and I started talking to her. And I was like, you know what? I'm actually going to give this shell to her because she's so cute. <laughs> and you know what was interesting when I was thinking about compassion? When I gave it to her, she had initially felt uncomfortable. And that's when, we, when I was thinking that when we think about kindness, sometimes we just have to open our arms and just receive it. It's okay to receive mm. kindness. Um, and actually after that, we had a whole conversation. I learned where she came from, you know, how many years she's been in the village. And, you know, these stories will be gone one day. So I intentionally go out every week to spend some time with her, just to sit down, you know, go and have a cup of tea with her and just talk to her. And so, yeah, see, the, the shell movement has now expanded, not only to placing them out, but I'm actually intentionally going out to find villages in these different villages, because some of them don't leave, uh, and just talking to them. And you know what? It's just lovely, because a lot of them live by themselves, mm. and they have no one to talk to. So, you, my friend, you, my friend, not only serve professionally and personally, but you, it is part of who you are and your DNA. and um, Boy, what you know, you just the love and compassion and contribution that you're making and difference you're making in this world is extraordinary. Um, (laughs) I would like a shell. Okay, I'll paint you one, I'll deliver one to you. I will actually, actually, can I have a shell? And I would like to paint one too. Okay, I'll give you some. I'll you paint it with the kids. (laughs) Awesome. Now, um, just on on another side note, tell us about 
GB Ultra and you running the length of the United Kingdom. What, yes. what is going on? Well, I have a wonderful sister who I race with every year. It's our, our goal. So we ran Mongolia. We did Kazakhstan together. And um, she said to me, well, COVID this year, we can't run. So I've got this great idea for you, Debbie. And I was like, okay, what is it? She goes, uh, I signed you up for this virtual race. I was like, okay, 100 kilometers, that's doable. She goes, no, it's 825 miles. We're running from the north of England to the south. <laughs> and it started on June 20th. And I have until September 19th, a day before my birthday to complete it. Um, so I'm 300 miles in, but I've, you know, it's quite interesting because I've been very strategic. I even have an Excel plan to make sure that I am on pace. It's like working my revenue forecast right now, but on a run. Um, but it's been fun. I mean, it's getting me out there um, and I can still send my shells out. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, is, that is insanely cool. <laughs> boy, you are, you, are, you are a busy woman making a difference and uh, just, oh boy, that, that's extraordinary. You know, De Debbie, we, we talked about high tech and high touch, that it's important to use technology in a way that's going to magnify your human touch. But many might say, especially after COVID, it's just going to be all high tech and no touch because people are going to be uncertain or nervous and concerned about safety and health. So how do you see connections playing a part? in this post-COVID world? I think the quality of connection is going to be more important. And I, you know, I wrote about this actually before about the law of scarcity. And when you have high tech, there are going to be people who are going to thrive and want that connection. And that quality of service that we're going to provide is going to be even more important. The conversations that we have, mm. you know, and the type of people that we're going to be putting in those positions, you can't have somebody who's monosyllabic. You're going to have somebody who's going to be able to have a lot of empathy, mm. right? Be able mm. to read that person. Um, so you know how to mirror that conversation. So I think the quality of connections are going to be much more powerful and something that we need to look at in terms of when we come out of COVID, how are we, you know, how are we helping employees show up in the right way? Mm. COVID has offered an opportunity for everyone to pause, to Thanks. reflect, yeah. and to think about who they serve, how they serve, who they are, you know, what they yeah. stand for. It's a great opportunity. Just curious to know, what opportunities do you see within the COVID environment for hotels and the service they provide? I think it's a good time to journey back to the roots of genuine hospitality and come and look at it from a reset standpoint. Mm. You know, before COVID, you know, a lot of hotels, you know, in Asia Pacific or China, you know, running high 90% occupancy, 99 yearly. And we get so caught up in sort of the mundane operational tasks that sometimes it's not that we don't want to provide exceptional service or those lightning strikes. It's just that we couldn't focus on that. And now we've got that time to focus. And so it's really a good time to sort of really think and reflect and see, you know, how are we going to serve those people when they come back? Mm. What's important? I think simplifying a lot of things that we did in the past, which we never had the chance to do in the past, right? 
Mm. Simplifying a lot of, you know, the tasks that were at hand and thinking, okay, do we need to do this? It's a, it's a good time to clean out. It's a good time to clean out some of the things that maybe not necessary in the future. Or it's kind of like as you're on a hiking journey and you're carrying things in your backpack, what do you need to let go of? What rocks should you put down so yeah. that you can be lighter? And what do you need to embrace moving forward? Exactly. Debbie, we're coming to the end of our uh, podcast. And I just want to thank you for all your wisdom and insight and the stories you've shared with us. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, how can they? Um, they can contact me on LinkedIn under Debbie Bailey. Um, otherwise, on email at debbie.bailey at hosp-impact.com. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from people. Fantastic. And we'll be sure to put your contact details in the show notes. Thank you. So Debbie, it's been a pleasure, my friend. And thank you once again. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Ignited Learning Podcast. If you've enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at ignited-learning.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.